Good evening. I hope you're having a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is the show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you hadn't heard in a while. Links to all the stories are found at the website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story... The Princess and the Puma by O. Henry There had to be a king and queen, of course. The king was a terrible old man who wore six shooters and spurs and shouted in such a tremendous voice that the rattlers on the prairie would run into their holes under their prickly pear. Before there was a royal family, they called the man Whispering Ben. When he came to own 50,000 acres of land and more cattle than he could count, they called him O'Donnell, the Cattle King. The queen had been a Mexican girl from Laredo. She made a good, mild Colorado Claro wife, and even succeeded in teaching Ben to modify his voice sufficiently while in the house to keep the dishes from being broken. Ben got to be king. She would sit on the gallery of Espinosa Ranch and weave rush mats. When wealth became so irresistible and oppressive that upholstered chairs and a center table were brought down from San Antonio in the wagons, she bowed her smooth, dark head and shared the fate of the dance. To avoid less majuste, you have been presented first to the king and queen. They do not enter their story, which might be called the Chronicle of the Princess, the Happy Thought, and the Lion that Bungled His Job. Yosefa O'Donnell was a surviving daughter, the princess. From her mother, she inherited warmth of nature and a dusky, semi-tropic beauty. From Ben O'Donnell, the royal, she acquired a store of intrepidity, common sense, and the faculty of ruling. A combination was one worth going miles to see. Yosefa, while riding her pony at a gallop, could put five out of six bullets through a tomato can swinging at the end of a string. She could play for hours with a white kitten she owned, dressing it in all manner of absurd clothes. Scorning a pencil, she could tell you out of her head what 1,545 two-year-olds would bring on the hoof and 850 per head. Roughly speaking, the Espinosa Ranch is 40 miles long and 30 broad, but mostly leased land. Josefa, on her pony, had prospected over every mile of it. Every cowpuncher on the range knew her by sight and was a loyal vassal. Ripley Givens, foreman of one of the Espinosa outfits, saw her one day and made up his mind to form a royal matrimonial alliance. Presumptuous? No. In those days in the Nueces County, a man was a man. And after all, a title of Kettle King does not presuppose blood royalty. Often, it only signifies that its owner wears the crown in token of his magnificent qualities in the art of cattle. One day, Ripley Givens rode over to the Double Elm Ranch to inquire about a bunch of stray yearlings. He was late in setting out on his return trip, and it was sundown when he struck the White Horse Crossing of the Nueces. From there to his own camp, it was 16 miles. To the Espinosa Ranch, it was 12. Givens was tired. He decided to pass the night at the crossing. There was a fine water hole in the riverbed. The banks were thickly covered with great trees, undergrown with brush. 
Back from the waterhole 50 yards was a stretch of curly mesquite grass, supper for his horse and bed for himself. Givens staked his horse and spread out his saddle blankets to dry. He sat down with his back against a tree and rolled a cigarette. From somewhere in the dense timber, along the river came a sudden, rageful, shivering wail. A pony danced at the end of his rope and blew a whistling snort of comprehending fear. Givens puffed at his cigarette, but he reached leisurely for his pistol belt, which lay on the grass, and twirled the cylinder of his weapon tentatively. A great gar plunged with a loud splash onto the waterhole. A little brown rabbit skipped around a bunch of cat claw and sat twitching his whiskers and looking humorously at Givens. The pony went on eating grass. It is well to be reasonably watchful when a Mexican lion sings soprano along the royals at sundown. The burden of his song may be that young calves and fat lambs are scarce and that he has a carnivorous desire for your acquaintance. In the grass lay an empty fruit can, cast there by some former sojourner. Givens caught sight of it with a grunt of satisfaction. In his coat pocket, tied behind his saddle, was a handful or two of ground coffee. Black coffee and cigarettes. What ranchero could desire more? In two minutes, he had a little fire going, clearly. He started with his can for the waterhole. When within fifteen yards of its edge, he saw, between the bushes... A side-settled pony with down-dropped reins, cropping grass a little distance to his left. When within fifteen yards of its edge he saw, between the bushes, a side-settled pony with down-dropped reins, cropping grass a little distance to his left. Just rising from their hands and knees on the brink of the water hole, just rising from her hands and knees on the brink of the water hole, was Josepha O'Donnell. She had been drinking water, and she brushed the sand from the palms of her hands. Ten yards away to her right, half concealed by a clump of sacoista, Givens saw the crouching form of the Mexican lion. His amber eyeballs glared hungrily. Six feet from them was the tip of the tail stretched straight like a pointer's. His hindquarters rocked with the motion of the cat tribe preliminary to leaping. Givens did what he could. His six-shooter was thirty-five yards away, lying on the grass. He gave a loud yell and dashed between the lion and the princess. The ruckus, as Givens called it afterwards, was brief and somewhat confused. When he arrived on the line of attack, he saw a dim streak in the air and heard a couple of faint cracks. Then a hundred pounds of Mexican lion plonked down upon his head and flattened him with a heavy jar to the ground. He remembered out. Let up now. No fair gouging. And then he crawled from under the lion like a worm, with his mouth full of grass and dirt, and a big lump on the back of his head, where it had struck the root of a water elm. The lion lay motionless. Givens, feeling aggrieved and suspicious of fowls, shook his fist at the lion, and shouted, I'll wrestle you again for twenty. And then he got back to himself. Josepha was standing in her tracks, quietly reloading her silver-mounted thirty-eight. It had not been a difficult shot. The lion's head made an easier mark than a tomato can swinging at the end of a string. There was a provoking, teasing, maddening smile upon her mouth and in her dark eyes. The would-be rescuing knight felt the fire of his fiasco burn down to his soul. Here had been his chance. 
the chance that he had dreamed of, and Momus, and not Cupid, had presided over it. The satyrs in the wood were, no doubt, holding their sides in hilarious, silent laughter. There had been something like vaudeville way Senior Givens and his funny knockabout act with the stuffed lion. Is that you, Mr. Givens? said Josepha, in her deliberate saccharine contralto. You nearly spoilt my shot when you yelled. Did you hurt your head when you fell? Oh, no, said Givens quietly. That didn't hurt. He stooped ignominiously and dragged his best Stetson hat from under the beast. It was crushed and wrinkled to a fine comedy effect. Then he knelt down and softly stroked the fierce, open-jawed head of the dead lion. Poor old Bill, exclaimed mournfully. What's that? asked Josepha sharply. Of course you don't know, Miss Josepha, said Givens, with an air of one allowing magnanimity to triumph over grief. Nobody can blame you. I tried to save him, but I couldn't let you know in time. Save who? Why, Bill, I've been looking for him all day. You see, he's been our camp pet for two years. Poor old fella, he wouldn't have hurt a cocktail rabbit. It'll break the boys all up when they hear about it. But you could tell, of course, that Bill was just trying to play with you. Josepha's black eyes burned steadily upon him. Ripley Givens met the test successfully. He stood rumpling the yellow-brown curls on his head pensively. In his eye was regret not unmingled with a gentle reproach. His smooth features were set to a pattern of indisputable sorrow. Josepha wavered. What was your pet doing here? she asked, making a last. There's no camp near the White Horse Crossing. The old rascal ran away from camp yesterday, answered Givens readily. It's a wonder the coyotes didn't scare him. You see, Jim Webster, our horse wrangler, Brought a little terrier pup into camp last week. The pup made life miserable for Bill. He used to chase him around and chew his hind legs for hours at a time. Every night when bedtime came, Bill would sneak under one of the boy's blankets and sleep to keep the pup from finding him. I reckon he must have been worried pretty desperate or he wouldn't have run away. He was always afraid to get out of sight of camp. Josepha looked at the body of the fierce animal. Givens gently patted one of the formidable paws that could have killed a yearling calf with one blow. Slowly, a red flush widened upon the dark olive. Slowly, a red flush widened upon the dark olive face of the girl. Was it the signal of shame of the troop? Was it the signal of shame of the true sportsman who has brought down ignoble quarry? Her eyes grew softer, and the lowered lids drove away all their bright mockery. I'm very sorry, she said humbly. But he looked so big and jumped so high that oh, poor old Bill was hungry, interrupted Givens in quick defense of the deceased. We always made him jump for his supper in camp. He would lie down and roll over for a piece of meat. When he saw you, he thought he was going to get something to eat from you. Suddenly, Josepha's eyes opened wide. I might have shot you, she exclaimed. You ran right in between. You risked your life to save your pet. That was fine, Mr. Givens. I like a man who is kind to animals. There was even admiration in her gaze. Yes, there was even admiration in her gaze now. 
After all, there was a hero rising out of the ruins of the anticlimax. The look on Given's face would have secured him a high position in the SPCA. I always loved him, said he. Horses, dogs, Mexican lions, cows, alligators. I hate alligators, instantly demurred Josefa. Crawly, muddy things. Did, did I say alligators? said Givens. I meant antelopes, of course. Josefa's conscience drove her to make further amends. She held out her hand penitently. There was a bright, unshed. There was a bright, unshed drop in each of her eyes. Please forgive me, Mister Givens, won't you? I'm only a girl, you know, and was frightened at first. I'm very, very sorry I shot Bill. You don't know how ashamed I feel. I wouldn't have done it for anything. Givens took the proffered hand. He held it for a time while he allowed the generosity of his nature to overcome his grief at the loss of Bill. At last, it was clear that he had forgiven her. Please don't speak of it any more, Miss Josepha. Twas enough to frighten any young lady the way Bill looked. I'll explain it all right to the boys. Are you really sure you don't hate me? Josepha came closer to him, impulsively. Her eyes were sweet. Who sweet and pleading with gracious penitence. I would hate anyone who would kill my kitten. And how daring and kind of you to risk being shot when you tried to save How oh, very few men would have... Victory rested from defeat. Vaudeville turned into drama. Bravo, Ripley Givens. It was now twilight. Of course, Mr. Sever could not be allowed to ride on to their ranch house alone. Givens resettled his pony in spite of that animal's reproachful glances and rode with her. Side by side, they galloped across the smooth grass, the princess and the man who was kind to animals. The prairie odors of fruitful earth and delicate bloom were thick and sweet around them. Coyotes yelping over there on the hill? No fear. And yet, Josepha rode closer. A little hand seemed to grope. Givens found it with his own. The ponies kept an even gait. The hands lingered together and the owner of... The hands lingered together, and the owner of one explained. I never was frightened before, but just think how terrible it would be to meet a really wild... Poor Bill. I'm so glad you came with me. O'Donnell was sitting on the ranch gallery. Hello, Rip, he shouted. That you? He rode in with me, Josepha. I lost my way and was late. Much obliged, called the Kettle King. Stop over, Rip, and ride to camp in the morning. But Givens would not, but was on to camp. There was a bunch of steers to start off on the trail at daybreak. He said good night and trotted away. An hour later, when the lights were out, Josepha, in her night robe, came to her door and called to the king in his own room across the brick-paved hallway. Say, Pop, you know that old Mexican lion they call the Gotcheared Devil? The one that killed Gonzalez, Mr. Martin's sheep herder, and about fifty calves on the Salado Range? Well, I settled his hash this afternoon over at the White Horse Crossing. Put two balls in his head with my thirty-eight while he was on the jump. I knew him by the slice gone from his left ear that old Gonzalez cut off with his machete. You couldn't have made a better shot yourself, Daddy. Bully for you, thundered. Bully for you, thundered whispering Ben from the darkness of the royal chamber.
See what happened here? That beast was two-faced to do different groups of people. You might say he was even living a double life. Well, you might not say that, if you want her to be wrong. But what's right is all of the love we're getting on the podcast. Thank you so much for uh, downloading and listening and subscribing and telling all your friends. Remember, links to all the stories can be found at bedtimewithbvj.com. Thank you so much for listening. Night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 